All right, well, we are in Luke chapter 24. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, grab your phones, silence your Instagram notifications, and open up the app to the Bible. And we're going to be Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Before we read there, I want you to go ahead and get that ready, because we're going to read that in just a moment. Before we start to read the word this morning, this morning, our prayer is that we are going to see Jesus. That's our prayer every week that we get together. Um, But particularly this morning, the text that we're going to read, you're going to see that it's all about needing to see Jesus and people who, who miss him, who don't see him when he's right in front of them. And he needs to show himself to them. And we're praying that God would reveal himself to us, that we would see him in our hearts and our spirits, that we would hear his word that we would see his glory, that we would leave transformed by that. And you guys, like, that's a big prayer, okay? We, we gather on Sunday mornings. That's just a thing you do, right, culturally. I don't want this to become a stale religious tradition that we do. And then we show up, and we've done our thing, and we feel a little better about ourselves, and we leave. And I'm just being honest, like, that's how it can become for myself sometimes, too. But this is an opportunity where we can audaciously pray and ask God, just show yourself to us and may we be transformed by seeing you, Jesus, this morning. You guys want to join me in that prayer? We want to see Jesus. We want to be transformed by who he is and we want to be sent out by him. It's hard. What does that mean to see Jesus though, right? It's kind of like if you remember in the 90s, uh, you guys don't, but... You guys, we used to have this thing called magic eye. Have you ever seen that where it's like this blurry image and people are telling you there's something hidden in the image. You got to squint really hard and try to guess what it is. Any of the kids know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Eileen just like gave me the raised eyebrow. Like I have no idea what you're talking about. I have a picture up here. So this is a a magic eye. Okay. And actually I want to thank Will for this. He crafted the, the kids curriculum for this week if it wasn't a family worship Sunday. So our other congregations, Mason Tempe, are using it. Um, But this was included in it. And what he said was, he claims that you could see the name Jesus written in there if you squint hard enough. And you guys, all week I was trying. And I could not see it. I don't know what that says. I hope that doesn't mean something deeper. Uh, But I could never see these things, those magic eye illusions. I could never, ever, ever Not even one time, find the image in there. So apparently, yeah, squint really hard. Can anybody see it? No. Yeah, you gotta have, you're supposed to hold it like right up to your face and then slowly back it away. I was like getting cross-eyed this week and dizzy and it was not helping. I still couldn't see it. Um, But apparently it's in there. It's kind of like that. It's Here's the thing is sometimes I would have a friend point out the magic eye thing to me and they go, all right, look, this is what the image is. And they would kind of like try to like show me where it's supposed to be. And then sometimes I could get it. Or like when you see a movie and the movie makes no sense at all until you get to the very end. Can you guys think of any movies like that? I'll I'll give you like a starter, like The Sixth Sense. Oh, I stole it from you, huh? The Sixth Sense, like, you're like, this is kind of a weird movie. And then you get to the end, and, like, if you rewatch it after seeing the ending, a lot of things make a ton more sense, right? Any other movies like that you can think of? What? Shutter Island. I hadn't seen that one yet. I heard it was good. No? <laughs> Too scary? 
Uh, there's, there's one, I actually like years ago used this movie as a sermon illustration and then later people were like, why would you reference that movie? It's not a good movie to watch at all. So, but I, I did, I watched it. But Memento, has anyone ever seen that? Yeah, it's like the whole movie's backwards basically. Like the, the ending is the beginning, the beginning is the ending and like you have no clue what's going on. The dude like, uh, he has short-term memory, and so they play on that, and the movie's done in a really weird, trippy way. And at the end, finally, you're like, whoa, I did not expect that, and suddenly everything makes sense. That's kind of how this moment we're going to read in Luke 24 is for a couple disciples, a couple of Jesus' followers. And so turn with me to Luke 24, starting verse 13. And what's happened, last week, Brian was preaching in Luke 23, and we heard that Jesus had been betrayed by one of his friends, that he had been captured by Roman officials, that he had been turned over to them by the religious leaders and rulers of his own people, that crowds of people who had been following him and wanting to see miracles performed by him were now shouting for him to be killed. And he was. And he was brutally killed and hung on a cross. And then after that, he was buried in a tomb. Now, the man we heard about last week, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man's tomb he was buried in. A giant stone was rolled in front of the entrance. There was no way in or out, and yet still they put Roman guards there to guard it. If this man really is who he claims to be, or really just so that we can kind of shut up his followers who are claiming who he is, the son of God. We're going to make sure there's no way he can get out of there. And what happens at the beginning of Luke 24, I love this, verse 1, it says, but on the first day of the week, suddenly something changes. And if you were with us throughout this series of Luke, you know that we, we jumped ahead back in April because we got to Easter. And it was like, hey, we're in Easter and Jesus is still alive where we are in Luke. So we got to jump ahead a little bit in the story. And we got to share what happened. So Good Friday, we, we jumped ahead. We talked about his death. Sunday, Easter, we, we jumped ahead. We talked about his resurrection. And so Tim said I was double dipping this morning, preaching on the resurrection twice in one year. It's not even Easter, but it's that good of a story. And here's the reality is we celebrate this every Sunday. Every Sunday is a little Easter resurrection reminder. That's why we gather on Sundays. Did you know that traditionally the church? Because it was, it was said to be on a Sunday that Jesus rose out of the tomb. Every Sunday is a little mini Easter celebration. And really every day that you get up out of your bed and you have breath in your lungs is a reminder that something changed here. But on the first day of the week, something changed. Death was put to death. Life had come back. Can you imagine, like, God is the giver of life, the sustainer of life. He creates all life, and something goes terribly wrong. Like, the thing that he created is now being attacked. Life has been met by death because of our rebellion. But God says, no, that's not the last word. That's not the end. And so Jesus, God himself, comes and goes through that death, and on the first day, he rises again. And so you have women are the first ones to recognize this. And if you were trying to convince people of a lie in this day and age, you would not use women as your eye account witnesses because they did not value. A woman's testimony in court wasn't even valid. 
all right? That's how bad it was. They did not value women or respect them in this culture. So if you were trying to make something up, you would be like, Joseph of Arimathea, the man who sits on the high council, went and saw. Or, or Peter, one of his disciples, someone well-respected in the community, went and saw. But no, no, no. These women went to the tomb, these women who Jesus loved and who loved him. And they saw the tomb was empty. And they go and they tell all their friends, something's happened. Jesus isn't there anymore. Not only that, we were there at the grave and this angel, this messenger of God appeared to us and told us that he is no longer dead, he is alive. And this is what it says. It says, they did not believe. These words, verse 11, seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter, okay, now here's the man's account, right? But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linens, the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling what had happened. They still have not seen Jesus yet, though. And this is where we pick up our story. Verse 13. That very day, two of them, that's two of his followers, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from where they were in Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. That's a beautiful verse. Don't skip over that. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour, and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. 
Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them and the breaking of the bread. This is God's miraculous story, his word. God, we pray that you open up our hearts and our minds and our ears and our eyes to hear, to understand, to receive, to see you this morning. May we be completely changed and transformed by who you are and by this good, good news. In Jesus' name, amen. So two of Jesus' followers, two of Jesus' friends, uh, one of them's not even named, the other one, Cleopas, never heard about before in this story. This is the first time Luke mentions his name. I think it's the only time his name is mentioned in the New Testament. These two guys, not part of the, the 12 that follow Jesus regularly and closely, but if you remember back in Luke 10, there was a group of about 72 close followers. Remember, there was, there was his three that he really loved and pulled aside sometimes. There was his 12 that followed him day in and day out everywhere. And then there was this other group of like 72 people that he sent out two by two to go and cast out demons and to heal the sick. And then there were these huge crowds that followed him. The crowds, the same crowds that ended up calling for his death later on. And so Cleopas and his friend are possibly part of that 72 group of people, right? They're, they're considered his followers, his friends, his disciples. And they're on the road after this death of Jesus transpires in Jerusalem. They're on the road to Emmaus, seven miles away. Now, we don't know this for certain, but like you just followed Jesus everywhere for three years. You just followed Jesus into Jerusalem during the Passover. You followed him there because you were told that this is the Messiah. That means he's the king who has come to rescue you out of oppression from all the other kingdoms, like Rome, so that Israel could be a great nation again, and you could be free, and you could have a good life with a good king who rules over you perfectly. This is him. And so you follow him into Jerusalem, and you're ready. You are ready to see this take place. And in fact, some of you are fighting over who gets to sit next to him on his throne, right? And then you get there, and suddenly everything goes south. Everything starts going terribly wrong. And the religious leaders start getting the crowds to chant against Jesus to murder him. They even get one of his closest followers, one of the 12, to hand him over and betray him. They lead the Roman guards up to capture him. They bring him in. They torture him. They beat him. They whip him. They spit on him. They strip him naked and completely humiliate him. You and all your friends run away hiding because you don't want to get caught up in this mess. But you watch from a distance and you see these things go on. In fact, even his closest follower, Peter, denies ever even knowing him three times. And you see him nailed to these wooden beams. They put a crown on his head to mock him as the king, but it's a, a crown with thick thorns just digging into his skull. He's hanging there with all of his body weight pushing down onto this nail driven between both of his feet. Like think of a giant railroad spike. And you see him die in this place. The next couple days, you're sitting there in silence, 
in darkness. You and your friends are hiding because you don't want to get caught to. You're confused. You're scared. You're weeping. And then you decide to go on a seven-mile journey. Is it because you have some business to attend to? Is it because you heard about maybe another Messiah over there? No, it's most likely because it's your home. Everything I just gave up to follow after this man, it's all gone now. Like the thing that we thought we were going to gain is gone. We thought this was the Messiah. This, Jesus was a prophet, they tell him. He was a prophet of God, but we thought he was the Messiah, the one who would come to rescue Israel. We thought, now he's dead. These crazy women in our group came and told us that he's no longer there, and these angels told them that he's alive now, but they didn't see him, so we have no proof. Even Peter went, and he said, yeah, it's true, his body's not there, but he did not see him. We thought he was the rescuing, saving Messiah but he's gone. We're going home. And it most likely is their home because when they get there, they invite him to stay with them so they have a place to stay. Everything they thought, all of their hopes to come and rescue them was just the rug pulled out from under them. It was gone. And they were ready to follow Jesus when it looked like he was going into Jerusalem to take the throne. But they couldn't follow a dead Jesus in the grave. So now they're packing it up. And I wanna ask us this morning, what makes us pack it up? What are the things that come along in life where you go, I was ready to follow you, Jesus, but not through that? Jesus seemed powerful, when he was riding on that donkey into Jerusalem, he doesn't seem very powerful. Now, Jesus seemed powerful when I got that job, but now that I can't pay this bill, he doesn't seem very powerful. Now, Jesus seemed powerful when he was going into the temple and turning over tables and he was condemning people for selling things in the temple, but he doesn't seem very powerful. Now, Jesus seemed powerful when I met my wife or my husband, but now that we're having this argument and it seems like we're not doing well, he doesn't seem very powerful for my marriage now. Jesus seemed powerful, but not now. Not now that I'm watching someone struggle with their health. Not now that I just got diagnosed with this or that. Not now that, what is that? What's the thing that makes you just wanna pack it up? I can't follow him here. And I want us to see something amazing in this story. Because those, those two men were traveling seven miles back home. And who goes after them? Jesus. Yeah. That's right. I've never heard Cleopas before. We don't know the name of the other one. They're not one of the 12. Jesus gets up out of that tomb, out of the grave, out of death, and he walks seven miles 
with these two unknown people. He knows they're packing it up and they're going home and he goes after them. Remember when Jesus told those stories of like the shepherd who lost one sheep and he went after it or the woman who lost one coin and she turned over everything in her house to find it? Jesus is putting those words into action here. I mean, this isn't Peter, James and John, right? But Jesus loves these two people and he's going after them. Jesus pursues them. He's pursuing you. And then Jesus does some really weird stuff, right? Like, I, I just think it's hilarious. Jesus shows up and he kind of like disguises himself from them. They, don't, they can't tell who he is yet. And then he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, really? You don't know? Have you been living under a rock? Did you guys get that? Because he was under a rock? Okay. If you've got to explain your pastor joke, it just means you're smarter than everyone. So. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> kidding. Like, seriously, like, how do you not know about this guy? Like, are you the only one in Jerusalem who didn't know this? And Jesus is like, oh, what, what things? Like, he's just messing with them, it seems like. But think about, like, I'm like, why, why is Jesus playing games with them, right? But it kind of reminded me of the character of God all the way back at the beginning in the garden. When God shows up, Adam and Eve are hiding in their shame. They're packing it up too. They're running. And he shows up and he's like, hey, where are you guys? Like he knows where they are. Did, did you eat of that tree? I told you not to. What happened? Like he's pursuing not just to see them physically, but he's penetrating to the heart to truly see them. And he wants them to see not just where they are, but where he is too. And Jesus, I think, is doing the same thing here. He could just show up miraculously be like, hey, guys, look, I'm here. Right? But, no, no, he's, he's getting to something much deeper. Because when they start saying, man, all this stuff happened, it was crazy, and these women said that they saw his tomb was empty, they saw angels saying he's alive, but we didn't believe them, and all this stuff, Jesus responds in the very consoling Jesus-like manner with, you dummies. Right? He doesn't go, oh, guys, it's going to be okay. He's like, you foolish people. That's what he says. And he doesn't say, you're so foolish for not trusting those women. Or you're so foolish for not believing Peter. Or you're so foolish for not believing me when I said I was going to have to die, but three days later I would rise again. No, what does he say? Go ahead and look at it. Verse 25. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe what? Open book. All that the prophets have spoken. All that the prophets have spoken. Verse 27, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Whenever we see in scripture, especially when we see in the New Testament, saying Moses and the prophets or the law and the prophets, is not talking about specific prophecies that were spoken in specific rules that were listed in the law. It is talking about the Torah. That means the Bible, the scriptures that the Jewish people had at the time. So the law were the books that Moses wrote. Have you read Moses? It means have you read the books that Moses wrote? Genesis, Exodus, right? The first five books. Then 
The prophets are all those books written by and about the prophets. Later, if we kept going in Luke 24, Jesus does this again, and he starts talking about, this is in verse 44, if you jump down. He appears to people again, and he tells them all about what was written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. So he's covering all his bases, right? All the poetry written too. All the scripture that you have, this story about who God is and what he's done and who he has made you to be, you have not believed that. This is why we are taking a month to go through that in August. To remind ourselves the true story. He says, how foolish can you be? You, you are a devout Jewish person, a follower of God, and you have not believed any of his story. The whole story from the very beginning was pointing to me. It was pointing to me having to suffer and die, but then conquer death and rise again. Why are you losing heart now? Whatever the thing is that is making you pack it up right now and head back home, tail tucked between your legs, whatever that thing is, are you forgetting to believe the story? Are you forgetting the story of a God who pursues even when you run? Are you forgetting the story of a king, a rescuing Messiah, savior, warrior, who didn't come to battle the things of this earth, but came to battle death itself? Like, what do we have to be afraid of, right? He came he suffered through everything that we were supposed to suffer through. He conquered it. He rose again. And he gets up and those same feet that had a giant stake driven through them are walking seven miles to pursue these two men. I just started CrossFit recently. Uh, who's, who said this to me recently? Like, yeah, I know. Oh, this was <laughs> a friend of mine goes, yeah, I said, I started CrossFit. He goes, yeah, I know. I go, how'd you know? And he goes, because there are two people who will tell you what they do, crossfitters and real estate agents. <laughs> All right. So here I am telling you guys about my crossfit, but here's why. Because I, I had a moment where I was looking down and I was like, I have pastor hands. You guys know what I mean by that? Like, they're soft and delicate. Like, just very, they've been well like maintained and manicured and lotioned up. And I used to have these calluses on my hands from like working. Uh, I used to do woodworking and I used to play instruments and I'd have calluses on my hands from that. And I would work out and I'd have calluses from that. And I was like, I have these soft pastor hands. I need to do something about that. And so I started working out recently and it's killing me. I'm not in good shape. Uh, last week we did this one where it was just, it was a three mile run. That's not bad, right? I've ran three miles before. And not only that, but you run a mile as fast as you can, and then you get two minutes to rest. Then you run another mile as fast as you can. Two more minutes to rest. Third mile as fast as you can. I was like, no problem, right? Except problem, I haven't run in like five years at least. And not only that, it was like 100 degrees outside. So I run the mile as fast as I can. I'm not telling you my time because it wasn't very fast. And I get back, and I'm like, whew, whew, that was hard. And I'm like sucking down water and air. 
And there's a guy sitting pace with me. He's like, yeah, all right, you did pretty good, man. That was, that was not bad. But he's wearing like a weighted vest while he does it with me. I'm like, whatever, dude. <laughs> and it was his second time going through it that day. He did it with the 6 a.m. class. And he's with me. So I'm like, okay, thanks for your encouragement, buddy. So then uh, we do mile two. And I lost about 20 seconds on my time a mile two because I was getting tired. And I was proud of myself because I got toward the end. I was like, I'm, I'm stopping. And he's like, no, you can do it. So I kept going. I, I finished it, ran the whole way. I came back and I was just like on the floor. And then I had to go into the bathroom because I thought I was going to throw up. And then I come out and he's like, hey, back on the line, the two minutes is up. And I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> I bowed out, guys. I went to the cable row where I did that instead. I couldn't do it. I was seeing spots. I was dizzy. That was just two miles. Jesus, after being beaten, whipped, like, his body completely destroyed. A spear pierced through his side. Blood and water flowing out of it. Nails driven into his hands and his feet. Goes on a seven mile jog with these guys. He was dead and he's alive. Like if that doesn't prove it to these guys, if they don't see like, well, we saw those, that giant spike driven through his feet and he just walked with the seven miles. If that doesn't prove it to them, I don't know what will. He was dead, dead. And they said, not only that, it's been three days. Like that's how you knew in that time because you didn't have a stethoscope to hear their heartbeat. That's how you knew they were dead. They're not taking a nap. They're not just sick. They're not getting up. And he just walked seven miles with us they get to see something miraculous. And he starts explaining the whole story of God to them and the whole story of Israel and their people and the whole story of the world. And he's showing them how he is the main point of that whole story. He's the hero of that whole story. The whole story has been leading up to him and here he is with them here and now. Cleopas and what's his name? He knows them. He sees them, and it takes them a while before they can see him. They're looking somewhere else. I got to get back to Emmaus, check on my father, see how the business is going, make sure we haven't lost all of our sheep. I got to figure out what I'm doing for the rest of my life because what I thought I was doing is not happening. Their mind and their eyes are fixed on Emmaus, and Jesus' eyes are fixed on them. And he pulls their attention back. And I love when they sit down and they eat and they share a meal. Like, this is amazing. Like, they're like, hey, don't, don't keep going. Like, he pretends again. Like, Jesus is playing these games still. I'm going to keep going, guys. See you later. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's dark. We don't have street lights because it's, it's not 2019. It's dangerous out there. Just stay here, Okay. In our home. And then he comes in their home, and they're like, hey, you can break the bread. Like, there's something about him, because only the patriarch in the family breaks the bread. Like, you've been, something in our hearts is burning. Like, will you lead us? And when he does, remember just a couple nights before that, he had broken the bread, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. And something clicks oh, he did have to suffer. Yeah, his body was broken for us. He told us this was going to happen. 
And here he is now. Just like he said, he would rise again in three days. And then Jesus plays more mind games. Boop! Vanishes. Like, they finally see him. And he's like, all right, guys. Job done. I got to go catch up with those other guys now because they're wondering where I am too. And what do they do right then? Do you remember what they do next in the story? They go back to Jerusalem. How far is it? Seven miles. What time is it? It's dark. It's night. It's scary. There's bad people out there. I don't care. They haven't even eaten. They didn't get to finish their meal. You just went seven miles. You didn't get to eat. It's dark and scary out there. They're going back. Suddenly something had changed. Right? They had their eyes fixed on home, on going back, on packing it in. And now they've seen Jesus alive. They've seen his body healed and restored. They've seen that the God who created life and sustains life did not let death win. And he's back. And they're going, yeah, we're in. They follow right back. They go the seven miles. They get there. They hear the stories. Jesus has appeared now to Simon, too, who is also Peter. Remember Jesus changed his name? Like, now Peter has seen. We don't even get that story in there. Isn't that crazy? Luke chooses to focus on the story of Jesus showing himself to these two guys. We don't get the story of him seeing Peter. They come back, and all of a sudden, Peter's like, yeah, I didn't only see the empty tomb. I saw Jesus. And they're like, yeah, so did we. Let me tell you about the story. And then Jesus, if we keep reading in Luke 24, shows up to all of them and just blows them away. And that's why you have ordinary people in the first century, ordinary people willing to die for the sake of this story. Ordinary people who were running and hiding when they were killing Jesus are now going and giving up their lives to tell people about Jesus because they saw him. You and I haven't seen him physically, have we? And I, and I get like stuff happens in life and things get hard and we go, where is he? Jesus, where are you? But we're also told in scripture, blessed are those who see or who believe even though they don't see. Blessed are those who believe even though they don't see. Those first men and women went out and they were telling people and they're like, this is not made up. We truly saw this. Eyewitness account. And that next generation of people go, man, that sounds amazing. I didn't get to see him though. Like, Paul's like, I didn't get to see him. But you know what changed Paul is Jesus showed up. He saw him. That next generation of people had to go on this faith, but it was a faith that was given to them because they saw Jesus at work in a broken world. Like, maybe they didn't see his physical form, but they saw him at work in their lives. That's why we share every week evidences of God's grace. How have you seen God this week at work, right? How have you seen God at work this week? Because I was looking at Emmaus. I need you to help me. Fix my gaze. 
Blessed are those who believe, even though they don't see. God, help us to see, right? And they see, and it changes everything. They're willing to give up their lives for the sake of sharing that story. That's what we're called to, you guys. Are we willing to give up our lives for the sake of this story, to share it with the world around us? They go, didn't our hearts burn? Like, I want us to leave here with that. I don't, we're not going to say didn't our hearts burn because we don't talk that way, right? But they're like, weren't our hearts like burning? Like, there was something so compelling about this, man. That's how I want us to leave. Every week. Weren't we stirred up inside? Wasn't there something so compelling and moving about this story? That's when you see Jesus. Father, we pray that you would open up our eyes. God, we know one day you will open up our physical eyes, that we will see the physical Jesus reigning as king over all things. We pray even here and now you would open up the eyes of our hearts, that our hearts would burn, they would be stirred with awe and wonder and affection and love and the glory of our great God the one who comes after us and pursues us. Turn our eyes toward you. Help us to fix our gaze upon you. May we be forever changed because of that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.